The Romans in the first century were struggling with the same issues that we struggle with today, which is 2,000 years later. And that is, what is the value of works and my actions? And how does that play into my salvation? Now, I'm not going to lie to you. If I were to poll 10 people randomly, I would probably get 10 different responses on this. That is, how does what I do in my actions influence my salvation? Does it influence my salvation? Does it change whether I'm going to hell or not? And what do I mean by works? And that is exactly what Paul is writing to the Roman church in the first century about. Literally, the entire book of Romans, while yes, being kind of a, a thesis for salvation through Jesus, is almost every chapter hits on the subject of grace versus works. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So Romans 4, um, we're making good progress. Um, there have been weeks where we have gone more than one week in one chapter, but, but this is good. I think we're on a good uh, pace right now. We're going through one chapter a week. And if you remember the first three chapters, <clears throat> Paul starts off the, the letter to the Romans by kind of saying, you know, I'm Paul. This is Christianity. I know a lot of you are in a church or churches in, in Rome. And here is what the truth of Jesus Christ and salvation looks like. And he's been starting to lay it out, much like a lawyer would do, kind of cause and effect, uh, laying out kind of uh, a very good argument for <clears throat> grace. And Romans chapter 4 is grace. Again, is another way to, to call it is really grace versus works. Now here, in chapter 4, we're, he's really going to hammer home the point about what was grace to the Jews of the Old Testament. And, and he's going to bring up Abraham and also David uh, to some degree. If I were to ask you who was probably one of the most important figures in the Old Testament to the Jewish community, who would you say? There, it's a very short list. Abraham, Moses, and you just said it. You know it. They knew it. And if you were to um, you know, invoke those people to a Jewish audience, you've got their attention. Suddenly they're looking at you because those are the three figures that, that ab absolutely... Um, figure most prominently in their religion and in their background. So it's no accident that Romans 4 is going to continue Paul's tradition here of, of quoting Old Testament. And again, Paul quotes the Old Testament in Romans numerous times. There's a reason for that. Because his audience is, is not only very heavily Jewish or has a Jewish background, but they're obviously being influenced by people with a Jewish background. And you can see now, it's like oil and water. And, and you know, for fellow scientists in here, what happens when you put oil and water together? What happens? Separate. They separate. And oil is less dense than water, and it floats right on top. What if you shake it a few times? What happens? <coughs> It starts to blend together, but does it ever mix? You get little bubbles of oil in the water. You get discrete bubbles in both. It never really mixes. It's always this foamy, frothy, what you would call maybe an emulsion, of oil and water. You can definitely apply this analogy to the, to the Christian church in the first century because we have this interface between the Jewish community and their beliefs in the law, the law and the covenants of Abraham, of Moses, of Noah, 
<clears throat> and this new Christian community, which is coming along and saying, that is all valid. We are, in, in essence, descendants of that community, although culturally we may not be a part of that. We are descendants of it in a religious sense. But we have a new message, which is, it is your works and your actions alone that are not going to save you. It's grace. And this message of grace is just like oil and water, grace and works. Now, as it turns out, <laughs> in an abstract, strange religious sense, both are part of the equation here. One is not possible without the other. And that's another thing that I think a lot of people struggle to understand. And so let's dive into it today. We're going to read Romans. We have the magic microphone again that we're going to pass around. And again, I am working on the audio um, to this class, um, experimenting with a few things. We will get there. At some point, we will have the audio of the class recorded in crystal clear, um, you know, Dolby surround sound stereo. I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but, but at least at this point, we will use the magic mic for people who are reading the Bible. So if you are going to be a volunteer, please um, uh, use this phone and just, just speak normally and we should be able to pick it up. Okay. Let's go ahead and read Romans 4. We're going to start off by verses 1. <clears throat> Let's do 1 to 12. So what can we say that Abraham, the father of our people, learned about faith? If Abraham was made right by the things he did, he had a reason to brag. But this is not God's view, because the scripture says Abraham believed God, and God accepted Abraham's faith, and that faith made him right with God. When people work, their pay is not given as a gift, but as something earned. But people cannot do any work that will make them right with God. So they must trust in him, who makes even evil people right in his sight. Then God accepts their faith, and that makes them right with him. David said the same thing. He said that people are truly blessed when God, without paying attention to good deeds, makes people right with himself. Happy are they whose sins are forgiven, whose wrongs are pardoned. Happy is the person whom the Lord does not consider guilty. Is this blessing only for those who are circumcised, or also for those who are not circumcised? We have already said that God accepted Abraham's faith, and that faith made him right with God. So how did this happen? Did God accept Abraham before or after he was circumcised? It was before his circumcision. Abraham was circumcised to show that he was right with God through faith before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the father of all those who believe but are not circumcised. He is the father of all believers who are accepted as being right with God. And Abraham is also the father of those who have been circumcised and who live following the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Thank you. Okay. Reactions. What do you take away from this first passage here? Righteousness is for Jews as well as non-Jews. Oh, this is huge. So, so right off the bat, Paul is going to say something that I can almost guarantee you is going to tick off <clears throat> half the audience. <clears throat> Explain to me what and this is not a knock on the Jewish community of the first century, this is truth. How does the Jewish community of the first century <clears throat> view themselves in relation to all other non-Jews? Superior. Okay, in a sense superior, and why would you say superior? Well, kind of like they have the answers and no one else Okay. Does. In that sense, I would say yes, you're right. <clears throat> they thought they were right, they were right. 
they had the right answers, but how else did they view themselves with their community, their, their surrounding communities? The chosen people, uh-huh. <clears throat> and as a chosen people, did they tend to mingle a lot with the surrounding communities? No way. Oh, of course they would mingle in sense of doing business. Um, you know, if you live next door to someone who's a non-Jew, you might say hi to him every once in a while and you know, ask about his goat or something, I don't know, but. <laughs> what about eating? Would you eat a meal with a non-Jew? No, 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 no. And in some respects, this went both ways. <clears throat> there were many cultures, and you remember back to the Old Testament, the Egyptians, would the Egyptians eat with a Jew? No way. So it went both ways. <clears throat> But they certainly saw a separation of themselves with others. The core of the Jewish belief is this covenant system. Okay? This idea that a covenant or testament <clears throat> or contract was made between God and the chosen people, which was the Jewish community. That covenant system was started essentially by a man named Abraham. Abraham was the root of their religion, started right at the beginning. And so he was a very special character. Um, if you were to say to a Jew of the first century, oh, and by the way, oh, and let me rewind before I say that, that statement. There were some very special promises that God made to Abraham during his lifetime. What were they? I'll give you some land. Okay, you get land. Lots of Lots of descendants, and thus would become a great what? Nation. nation. Lots of descendants, and be a great nation. And the Old Testament, especially Genesis, goes on to delineate that nation amongst its neighbors. And, oh, should I draw a map? I'll draw a map. Yeah. Ready? <laughs> Woo! Here we go. I've been missing. I know. Withdrawal, right? <laughs> Don't worry. It's not going to last long. Okay. <laughs> Let's draw <clears throat> the Levant. Let's draw the Sea of Galilee, which is not called the Sea of Galilee at this point. This is way back in the Old Testament. We have the Dead Sea. <coughs> we have the Sea of Galilee, like Kinnereth, um, Tiberias, etc., etc. Really, we're just talking about this very narrow strip of land here back in 2000 BC that's called Canaan. That's one of the names for it, <coughs> which is also going to become the land of what? Israel. Even today, this is the modern nation of Israel, a very small strip of land next to the Mediterranean Sea. In the Old Testament, God is going to be very clear with the chosen people. He's going to say, you are going to live next to a lot of very unsavory people, a lot of pagan cultures that do not share your religious beliefs. They don't believe in me, Yahweh, as the supreme ruler of the universe. And they're going to have a lot of pagan practices that are very detestable in God's eyes. Everything from <clears throat> sexual immorality, murder, um, uh, infanticide, sacrificing of animals to foreign gods, so on and so forth. <clears throat> this is a very horrible thing. So even right from the beginning, the DNA of the Jewish community is prepping them for living with, but not mingling too much with, these pagan cultures that surround them. And one of the big pieces here is this idea that Junior said, which is, but that's okay because Abraham, your offspring are going to be its own great nation, and your children, if you want to think of your offspring, they will be a huge nation, but they will be contained from everyone else. Now, right off the bat, in Romans 4, what does Paul say? 
And Angela already said this. Let me say it again. Who are the descendants of Abraham? All uh, circumcised and uncircumcised. Okay, and you hear that, and you're right. Circumcised and uncircumcised. Jews and non-Jews. Jews and non-Jews, and Nathan, you said it. Through faith before the circumcision. Because Abraham was counted to Abraham as righteous before his circumcision. You're so good, bro. You jumped ahead. This is exactly it. (laughs) Faith is what's going to delineate them. Now, put yourselves in the shoes, I'm going to go back to this, of a first century Jew. You just heard what Paul just said. What's your first reaction? <laughs> this is a nice way of right. Grab the stones. That's it. Grab the pitchfork. Grab the torch. We're burning the place down, right? I don't know who this Paul guy thinks he is. Now remember too, these people don't know Paul. I mean, ninety-nine percent of the people getting this letter have never met him. They have only heard stories about him. They've heard mixed stories. Remember, Paul's had a checkered history himself with this community. So. This guy, who I don't even know, who I've heard has stirred up a lot of trouble in my community, is now writing to me saying Abraham is the father of everyone. <coughs> Time out. Full stop. What the blank is going on here? This is what Paul is contending with. Maybe one reason why the, the letter to the Romans is his longest that we have on file. And he's trying to make the case with these people. Look, you have to move past your past have to move past what you think you know about your own religion. And remember, Paul is a Jew. Paul is not just a Jew. What kind of Jew is Paul? He's a Jew of, among Jews. He is a Pharisee. He is a very highly educated Jewish person who knows the Old Testament. You better believe Paul can recite the Old Testament um, in his sleep. Trained by members of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews in Jerusalem. This is, this is no schleb. Okay? So he's got his street cred, and he spends the first part of Romans telling them that, but now he's getting into the meat of it. He's like, I'm going to hit you with what the truth is. The truth is, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you're a descendant of Abraham. What? So let's get at this. We're suddenly talking about a complete shift in mind between works and the law, and something that's called grace and faith. <clears throat> now explain to me what works mean to a first century Jew. What are works? Let's write this down. Sacrificing. Okay. Following them in general, following all the laws. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Sabbath. Um, <clears throat> sacrifice, yep. Sacri- the, the, all of the, the, the laws of the Old Testament, starting with the law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, and then expanded over the centuries by numerous rabbis and, and Jewish theologians and priests. <clears throat> this whole system of things you have to do on the outside. Laws, what you can eat, who you can talk to, when you sacrifice, when you worship, where you worship, when, Sabbath, right? Keeping that holy, do not murder. I mean, the Ten Commandments were just the beginning of all of this. So now you have, <laughs> you have this guy telling you that, yeah, all that's important, but, okay? 
And again, we said this last week, for a Jew, there were lots of concepts of salvation, don't get me wrong. Um, there was, there was a, probably a much wider perspective on what it means to be saved um, for a Jew of the Old Testament. It ranged all the way from, I might just get buried with my forefathers, and then it's oblivion, like literally no afterlife, all the way to people like Paul, who believed there was an afterlife, there were spirits like angels and demons, and not only that, but during the afterlife is your body gets resurrected, not just your spirit. So there's a whole range of of beliefs there, but they certainly all kind of revolved around this idea that how I acted on the outside determined what would happen to me in the, quote, afterlife. That's what we're getting at here, okay? Now, if how I act on the outside is the sole determining factor for how I am, quote, saved, <clears throat> suddenly you can see here the problem that this community has when this guy Paul comes and starts saying, but that's not the whole story. There is, there is kind of a, a third act, if you want to look at it that way. You've only seen the movie up to the second act at this point. You, you stopped it at 9 o'clock because it was your bedtime and you didn't see the ending, right? <laughs> and you can see how people would be very confused by this. Now Paul's going to say, I've got the ending to this movie here. And it may not have gone the way you thought the first two acts went. Abraham, now, you're saying, is the father of anyone who believes through faith that Jesus is who he says he is. That is very different than this. And, and part of the works, and again, this is, you know, a bit macabre, but, but circumcision is part of it. <laughs> And I don't think I have to get into what it is. I think you all know what circumcision is physically for males. But you have to understand what it meant to that community. You were not a Jew unless you were circumcised male. If you were a man and you were not circumcised, you were not a Jew. They would, they would not welcome you into their community. This was the first thing you had to do. Why? It's circumcision of the heart. Spiritual. Yes, you're, so circumcision of the heart, that is where we're heading. But I'm asking for the Jews, before, south, before grace, what was circumcision? Why did they do it? Okay, it sets them apart. Is it a sacrifice? It's a sacrifice. Ooh, we're doing all these things here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Timing is everything. And this is what I really want to get at today. The whole, you know, maybe if I had another title for Romans 4, it's this. Timing is everything. Okay? For the Jew, circumcision was the thing you had to do before you were saved. Before you were welcomed into the Jewish community. Before you were called a Jew. And before you could be considered someone that was part of God's chosen people. This had to come first. Okay? Bear with me here. Right? Now, if, if this comes first, and that has to happen, and all these other things, all these works, they all come first. Cause and effect. For the Jew, works come first, and then you are saved. Okay? But wait a minute. Paul just told me that all I have to do is believe Jesus is who he says he is, and then I'm saved. What? That is completely different than this. 
You're telling me that first I'm saved and then works happen? I like how he uses what they know yep. to make his case about it. That he says, well, Abraham, he's our father. And he, he asked them the question, is it, was it after his circumcision that he, God said he was okay, or was it before? And then he's like, no, it was before. And they could look that up, and they know that from their, you know, their teaching. So This is a great point for you evangelists. Every person in here I would consider a disciple of Jesus. You're also an evangelist. Congratulations. May not have known that you were, but you are. Know your audience. Know your audience. Interesting that when Abraham was circumcised, he was true sacrificing because it was painful and everything else involved yep. with that. Then they changed it to when the baby's eight days old. Mm. It's not the baby's mm-hmm. choice. Mm-hmm. Ah. You get to choose. I'm a, I'm a Jew now because when I was eight, somebody decided for me that I'm a Jew. Oh my gosh, Ken, this is huge. This is actually a really big deal. Why? Because how many people do you know today from certain Christian denominations who probably mean well had their babies baptized upon birth? Or christened, you know? Um, baby didn't choose. And just because I do something to the baby... <laughs> You're absolutely right, Ken. This is what he's trying to attack here. Let's go ahead and keep reading. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the faith by the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath, and and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This was power to do with what he promised. Uh, This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Thank you, Sarah. There's so much in here that really it is almost one of those cases where we need to go verse by verse because each one carries so much weight. So I want to kind of start back here with what's going on in Abraham's life so we can set the stage. Um, Let's read Genesis 15, 
verses 1 to 6, we're going all the way back, almost to the very beginning here. Want to understand where Abraham is coming from here? Who would like to read that for me? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall be, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Thank you. Right at the end, we saw or read the, the most key part. At what point was Abraham's actions counted as righteousness? When he believed the Lord, his faith. And it's interesting because Paul is here quoting the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. And that word that he's talking about is this fancy word called logizomai. Now, logizomai might sound familiar to you in English. It's where we get our word logic, to be logical. And it means essentially the same thing back then as it does now. It means to reckon or consider or to think, but it also means to count or to account or to credit, okay? So this word of logos, which is the word, but also means knowledge or wisdom, not only means those things, but it also means an accounting uh, in the sense of a logical kind of computational sense. So when we're talking about these actions being counted uh, to Abraham here, we're talking about his faith. Now, I want all of you to tell me what kind of life Abraham led. <laughs> okay? What were his, his true actions and his, uh, his works like in his lifetime? Just tell me. Okay, but what did Abraham do or Abram do in his life? What are some, some uh, low points, uh, as it were? Okay. Well, I mean, his yeah. wife was technically his half-sister, but yeah. he, he was trying Wasn't to be deceitful. So said. truthful either. Okay. So he was a liar. What else? He's a coward in a lot of Coward. Afraid of Pharaoh, so he made up these lies. There were times that he second-guessed God, because, you know, Hagar. Ah, okay. Second-guessed. God. And what specifically about that incident with Hagar is so egregious? Adultery. Well, he, uh, he slept with his uh, servants, uh, his wife's servant. <coughs> uh, adultery, you know, just as bad then as now. <coughs> Wasn't married to her. Okay. Why? Why did he sleep with her? Didn't trust God and in this sense, why? What was he not trusting? A very specific thing. I feel like because yeah. 
right here it says Abraham believed God when God said he was going to give him a son he believed him and then God credited it towards him as righteousness okay so he did believe it initially but then well God's timing was that he was going to have to wait a little bit for it and he didn't want to you know he waited and then he was like well I feel like it would have happened by now so my wife's telling me to sleep with her servant so I will do it <laughs> or you know maybe they're just kind of just running through his mind now, God said I was going to have a son, mm -hmm. but he didn't say it was with whom. Ah. So maybe, maybe he meant ah. this one over here instead of this one there. Let's justify this. Oh, goodness. He did promise me a son. And how many... You know, verses in Psalms have we seen where David is trying not to lean on his own understanding, and that's what Abraham is doing here. He's like, well, if I compute it, if I logizo my my own way. <laughs> ah, he allows others to influence him, and I'll say evil influence. I'm not saying she's necessarily evil. I'm just saying that allowing others to influence him in bad ways. Abraham has a bad track record, not only before this Genesis 15, but after it, right? And the timing is everything. He kind of goes, remember, we've talked about Abraham. He went in peaks and valleys, moments when he absolutely trusted God, no doubt, I'm all in, to I'm freaked out, and I'm going to do it my own way. <clears throat> if you were to judge Abraham at the pearly gates, on his works alone, what grade would you give Abraham? So we've got C minus. And this is my thing. Once you give your grade, give your grade in your head. Give your grade in your head. If it ain't A plus, he goes to hell. That's what we're getting at here. He was not perfect. He screwed up a lot. How many of us are perfect? <laughs> How many of us screw up? Okay. And this is what I'm getting at. Right away in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, God is clear with his chosen people, and he's now clear with us. Your works alone will not save you. Period. Think of it. Just the utter, as we've read that, Genesis passage. Think of the utter ridiculousness of when he believed because he said, go outside and look at the stars. There's no light pollution yeah. blocking out. I mean, that's a lot of stars back then that he could see, and that's mm -hmm. what he believed, that that's going to be how many descents. I mean, that's ridiculous. How many people have been out in the country away from all light pollution and seen the stars? You've never experienced the universe until you've done that. I'm telling you, even in, you know, West Des Moines, Iowa, Ankeny, Iowa, it doesn't even come close. They are millions of jewels sparkling in the heavens. And that's, to Ken's point, and it's overwhelming. And now he's struggling with one. Yeah. One mm -hmm. So the, the, the sum total of this is <clears throat> your works alone cannot save you. And God is clear it's not going to work. Okay? So what's the alternative? The alternative is Ephesians 2, <laughs> 8 to 9. <clears throat> the most important verse of the New Testament. I'll just say it. That's Brian Freeman's opinion. If you read one verse in the New Testament, it's not even John. Th it's, it's John 3, 16 plus Ephesians 2. Okay, we'll hybridize it. 
Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. Who would like to read that for me? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Boom. Period. End of story. Now combine it with what you just read in Romans, where I heard the words, the law makes faith worthless. So it's kind of one of these things. You can either have oil or you can have water, but you can't have both. You've got to choose. And what I'm talking about here right now is salvation. The law makes faith worthless. Ouch. What does he mean by that? Lorna, sweetheart, you said it. You said it perfectly. Whose hands is salvation in? That's what this kind of comes down to. Who has the power to save Brian Freeman's soul? Is it Brian Freeman? If it is, this is the whole point here. If salvation is completely in my hands and it's just about how good of a person I act on the outside and how many laws I follow and how many good works I do, and how many boxes I can check off, or I think I check off, then who is saving my soul? I am. It's all up to me. Okay? Now, Paul is a very logical person. He uses a lot of logizomai, or logismus is the noun. Then, if it's all on my shoulders, then what role is God playing in my life? What role does he have to play? What, he's the, the angel on my shoulder who tells me I shouldn't be stealing cookies? No. He still set the standard that you're oh, to live by. Okay. That's it. It's very passive. It's very passive-aggressive, right? He just stands back. He watches you or me. This is the key point here. If my actions alone determine my salvation, then what power does God have at all in, in anything? Say it again. His minister said that he wouldn't count on the best 15 minutes mm, of his life yep. to save him. That's a good point. Okay, that's awesome, Lorna. Think of the, the 15 minutes of the best time of your life when you feel like you've been doing everything right. Is it still good enough? <laughs> I probably look at my kids and I tell them, I will love you based on how you act and what you do. Mm. And leave it up to them to decide whether I love them or not. <clears throat> And is that love? Is that love? Well, Jesus could save us because he was sinless. Mm -hmm. We're not sinless until he saves us. I mean, we're forgiven huh? sinners. You're, you're so good, sweetheart. You're jumping ahead again. I mean, you've got it right. Lor no, Lorna, you're going to teach. Sweetheart, you're going to teach. You know it. I, I, and this, this is what I'm talking about here. So this is the next part here. So I really want to talk about this because it all has to do with it, which is, Payment. Think about this in terms of payment. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, numerous passages refer to the fact that sin is an egregious 
rebellion against God. It's a, it is a rejection of God. It is acting in ways that are morally reprehensible to God. It is essentially um, <clears throat> acting against God. Okay. <clears throat> in order for sin to be forgiven or covered or wiped away, there's one very important thing that has to be produced. What is that? Starts with ba and ends in lud. <laughs> Got it. Blood. <clears throat> Why would God require something like blood to be shed to cover sins? Why? Blood gives life. Blood gives life. Okay, it is life. What is it in a religious sense? It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. When you sacrifice something, like let's say you pay your tithe to the church, do you consider that a sacrifice? I do. <laughs> you know, how many other things do I want to pay, you know, spend my money on? It's a sacrifice. It's, it's in a sense, um, showing God that you are willing to part with something that may not make you the happiest person, right? And it, it should, and I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but my point is this, that when you sin, and, and this, is, this is a constant, when you sin, you are, you are creating debt, if you want to look at it that way. You're creating religious debt, moral debt, um, salvation debt. <clears throat> At some point, that debt rises to the level that it's going to condemn you. If you die today and your sin debt exists at all, you have a debt of sin, what would you say is going to happen to your mortal soul, to your, to your resurrected body? What happens to you in the afterlife? You're going to be judged. Go to hell. Uh, you're going to be punished, right? you are not going to enjoy the fruits of glory in the afterlife, okay? Because there's a debt to be paid. Who incurred the debt? That's, that's abs- that is actually true. Who, aside from Jesus, uh, Brian Freeman goes out and, and he fudges the truth a little. Not that that ever happens. Who just incurred some debt there? This guy. I just incurred debt. Now, according to the Bible, Old and New Testament, if I arrive at the pearly gates, metaphorically speaking, with any debt to my name, am I getting in? You're not. You're not getting in. Now, we start to see what it means when we say things like the law makes faith worthless. If all I care about is the law, and all I care about is I am going to save my soul, what are the chances I'm going to be able to save it? Dude, less than zero. I mean, zero, right? Absolutely zero. So there is a payment that needs to be made. And this is where we get words like redemption. Um, uh, Let's see if my Greek's any good here. I think it's lutrao. Lutrosis is the noun. Lutrao means to redeem. What does redemption mean? Saved, but how saved? This is it, Steve. That is the perfect way to say it. You are bought with a price. Who did we in antiquity tend to refer to people who were being bought with a price? Slaves. Slaves. 
Why? Because the cost of a slave in the first century was about 30 pieces of silver. <laughs> and there's, now you know the Judas connection, that every slave had value. They were their master's property, much like a horse or a cart or a house. They all had value. And if I was going to release that slave or, or let that slave go, either to give that slave to another, like to sell that person, or to set them free, I had to be paid or repaid for that. I had to be repaid for that. I was the owner of that slave. I had to be repaid. Now, if I sell my slave to another person, who gets the money for that? The slave? Who incurred the debt for that slave? Whose debt is that slave? It's on the slave because that's the person or the property in which now needs to be uh, uh, paid off. But who does that debt go to? <laughs> that's where you're getting at. It goes to the owner. Who owns me in the universe? Excellent, excellent. Paul, in the very beginning of Romans, says, I am a slave. I don't think that's an accident, that he uses that exact term, doulos. I am a slave. And now the debt that the slave incurs, right, I incur through my sin, is a debt to who? who whose debt am I building up? Who am I wronging by sinning? It's debt to God. I owe God the price of my slavery. If I want to be free, I have to repay God. He owns me. Just like a master in the first century owns his slave. Okay? Now here is the most important part. Who can repay that debt permanently? Permanently. And this, this is the key part that I'm going to tell you today. Millions of so-called Christian or non-Christian denominations who claim Jesus as their Messiah get wrong. The payment is... <clears throat> I can never repay this debt, meaning I can never get to the pearly gates with a zero sum. Why? I may pay it off a little bit here and there. Sure, I may go out and I may help the poor. Or um, I might give the homeless guy on the side of the road a gift card to McDonald's. Um, I might teach a Bible class. But here's the problem with economy. As I'm trying to pay that debt off, what am I also doing? <laughs> I'm incurring more, right? Look, as good of a person as you are, you'll never be able to stop incurring new debt. This just turned into a Dave Ramsey seminar. I don't know how this happened. Uh, you, now you don't have to go to that because you've heard it all. Uh, this is. This I don't believe back. I never, never heard anywhere in the Bible that said if a slave came across, you know, ended up with 30 pieces of silver in his pocket, he could go <coughs> say, I'm free now. This is a really good point. I almost brought this up. Which is, just because the slave might come into some money, <laughs> doesn't mean his master is going to let him go. Now, think of it in terms, too, Ken, that the 30 pieces of silver is not just a one-time thing. 
think of it as if, and, and you're right, think of it in religious terms as, even if I come up with the payment for the 30 pieces of silver, it's what Lorna said, I'm still incurring debt. Like, I'm never really ever going to hit the maximum, right? Because I keep, I keep incurring debt. And now it gets at the difference between grace and works. If I can never, no matter how hard I try, follow the law, no matter how many of these things I keep trying to check off, I can never make it. I can never make it. Who can pay that debt off? Jesus. That's it. You got it. You got it. Bless you. You're always right. If you say Jesus enough times, if you say Jesus enough times you're going to be right. Uh, right? Someone did have to shed blood for you to pay your debt. Someone, if you think of it this way, did have to be a perfect person. Someone did have to check all of the boxes and not incur his or her own debt. There is only one being that we know of in the universe that has ever done this. Who is that? This is your chance. Jesus! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's good. Oh, okay. <laughs> Quote. Someone else. So here we go. All right. Whose works were needed to make payment for sin? And this is kind of a trick question, right? Someone's works were required. It just turns out that you and I can't ever do this. Jesus, the Messiah, who Jesus of Nazareth, who we believe is the Son of God, perfect. Do we believe that Jesus ever sinned? I hope everyone in this class knows this answer. No, 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 no. If he had, it would have been worthless. Why? Because in order for this payment to work, it had to be perfect. It had to cover everyone's debt. And if there was any debt on his part, it would have canceled that out. <clears throat> not only would he not have been able to go to paradise, to be saved. It wouldn't have covered anyone else's out of it. So now we see the clear message of the New Testament, which is there is only one person who can cover your sin and your debt and pay it in full. And it has been paid in full. When did that debt get paid? On the cross. On the day he died. Why? His blood was shed. The blood of a perfect sacrifice was shed. And God, in his grace, accepted it. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, yeah, Jesus is God from a certain point of view, but God the Father could have said, I'm not accepting this, even though it was perfect. But he did. And this is so important. That acceptance of that payment is called, the G word, a gift. It's a gift. It's, it's also the G word, Grace. Grace is a gift for us. If that's true, and our salvation is not in our hands, but it's in the hands of Jesus, the Messiah, whose salvation, whose hands is salvation? Who decided that we could be saved? God. God. If it's now God's role 
God is all-powerful. He does have the right to decide who is saved and who isn't. He has a role. <laughs> right? So, then we circle back to, <clears throat> then what was the value of circumcision? What's the value of the law? You heard in here this, this, this phrase, there is no, where there is no law, there is no transgression. I'm going to tell you right now, that is misinterpreted by most people. <clears throat> this is misinterpreted by people that say, oh, well, if there's headhunters in Brazil, they've never heard the gospel, they're not going to hell. Eh, not so fast. That's not what this means. What this is saying is, if there were no law, then you would not be condemned. <clears throat> no one on earth would be condemned because there would be no law. But guess what? There is a law. There was a reason for the Old Testament. And because of that, this is an all-or-nothing statement. Either no one is condemned or everyone is condemned. That's what this is saying. Yep, exactly. Yes. I also think, like, this made me think about, you know, Jesus is setting the stage for all this. Like, when he's talking, they thought the law was for their outward appearances, but Jesus was starting to tell, like, Mm -hmm. telling them the law wasn't about outward, it was about your heart, and you needed to, like, obey the law with your heart, too. But now Paul is, like, really showing them. Right. This is, this is what all of us ignore. Forget what I'm like on the inside. What am I acting like on the outside? How many people look at Facebook and say, oh, look at all these people with their perfect lives and everything's put together right? How much of that's real? None of it. Everything you read on social media is a fabrication. It just is. It's taking bits and pieces out of context to make it look like these people have everything put together perfectly. That is a great analogy for our, our dilemma of grace versus works. Just because you look like you've got it all put together on the outside, on social media, I guarantee you on the inside things are rotten. People have trouble. They, they struggle. There's marriages that are in trouble. There is children that are going astray. There is, um, you know, people making very bad choices that they hope never make it to Facebook, right? But guess what? God knows our heart, and this is exactly what Laura is saying here. That Jesus is trying to say all this, this fake stuff on the outside that you're trying to make look like you're a good person isn't the point. It's who you are on the inside. It's a little bit of a dilemma. Mm -hmm. Because if you have what's right on the inside, This is great, Steve. And Steve is, is absolutely right on to, I'm circling back to timing. Timing is everything in, in the sense of salvation, okay? So, <clears throat> what comes first, chicken or the egg, right? Does my works come first or does grace come first? Grace. If grace comes first, which is what? What would we say grace is? Acceptance. Acceptance that... Jesus is the perfect Messiah who died for my sins. If I accept that, then 
then what is circumcision baptism. what is baptism You have just said, Steve, what 99% of the world struggles with, myself included. What came first? If I truly accept, and you have to accept it, the grace of Jesus. If your heart truly is focused on Jesus as his disciple, what will happen? The works and action, and I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it here, and I and I kind of made this at the beginning. I'm not going to call it works. I'm going to call it actions. Your actions will show it. Your fruit will show it. It's right. In two four it says, knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. So ah. First. So let's add. Yep. This is this is important, and there's a lot baked into what grace is, right? You unpackage it. There's things like repentance. Metanoia, again, a Greek word, but it means a complete transformation of your thinking. It's not just I feel bad that someone caught me with my hand in the cookie jar. It means I'm going to try and be better. I'm going to try and change my heart so these things do start to line up. I heard it said that about a person's Bible is falling apart, probably has a life that is not. Lorna, that's awesome. That's, we should put that on our sign for Pathway. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So, so this is it. So timing is everything. Then circumcision, baptism, and good works are what? Pre or post justification signs. This is it. <clears throat> These are the signs that something has changed within you. If you get baptized, you should be baptized after you give your life to Jesus, not thinking it's going to be some automatic checkmark to get you into heaven or a baby. Right. And what does justification, again, let's, we probably should have defined this in the beginning. What does justification mean? Make right. Make right. Yep. In the eyes of God, which we would call what? There's another word for this. Perfect. Holy. Yeah, exactly. Sanctified. And this is dikaiosune, that is the Greek here. That is exactly what this means. It means to be made holy, made righteous, um, sanctified. They all mean the same thing. You're justified, right? Kind of like you've been in a court of law and, the, and you have been found not guilty or innocent. I mean, it's kind of another way to think of it. You have been cleared of wrongdoing. Wouldn't be great if you lived that way. This is a great way to end this class. So what do you mean by that? Maybe if God already, already sees me that way, I like to say careful of the expectations that you set for people because they may live up or down. Ooh. God sets that expectation of us that we are justified and we started to live that way. Um, yep. How much... If I, if I want to live up to how he already sees me, do a little different. Nice. Sometimes I think, you know, if you do wrong, it's easy to think, well, if I just do A, B, and C, mm. you know, check it off the list, that will make up for that. It's easier way to, than to think, well, I need to actually give my heart to God or actually believe or actually change, you know, 
it's like I could I could do whatever it is sin, and mm -hmm. if I do that it'll make up for it why why do we think that because there is really no human analog to any of this if you have a job you probably have goals or PMDs or a list of things that you have to check off that you do to you know, keep your job, get a raise, you know, whatever, not get fired. Um, if you, you know, are raising your children, you have to make sure what you send them to school, they get their immunizations, wink, uh, you know, um, they appear to be good people, right? There is, because our whole lives are kind of, kind of focused around this is the way we live our lives now that's why it's so hard for us to then say but that's not how God sees things and no amount of magic underwear or you know missionary work to foreign countries is going to save my soul it's not your heart is thanks for joining us I'll pick this up next week <laughs>